What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes. Something amazing has happened. Go on, tell me. I found Jason Furman's phone number. No way. We should ring him and see if we, we can should. buy some dog equipment off him. We've got to put this to rest once and for all. There's so many people harassing me about his website and you. So, yeah, let's ring this idiot. Ring him up. Okay, hang on a sec. It's ringing. I'm excited. Hello. Hey, Jason. Yes, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ringing to uh, try and buy some dog equipment off you. Yeah, what do you want? I don't know, some tugs, some leashes, some some of that kind of stuff. Can I do that over the phone? No. Okay. Why let's would you get, do it over the phone? Mate, let's get down to the nitty gritty in the business here. Have you got a website or not? Of course. What? Yeah, of course. I just didn't want to tell you buggers about it. You're an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please tell us, what is your website? It is www.com. Einzweck.com, E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. You heard it here, folks. Einzweckdogquip.com, where you can buy oh all God, your I dog training equipment. It. Head over there right now, purchase yourself some tugs, leashes. What else do you sell, Jason? Uh, plenty of HS products, uh, mm-hmm. dog pull equipment, fireball mills, anything any normal dog person would want. Wonderful. No head halters. No, no head <laughs> That's it. Hey, Cut Jason. Yes, Glenn. You're still a bullfed. Bye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well. Yeah, lots going on at the moment. There is. And mm. we've kind of just rushed in here. We haven't even talked about a setup or what we're going to talk about or no. anything. It's just we're going to fly right into it. Yeah, I've got somewhere to be and we've got limited time. So yep. we've got, we we got things to talk about. Yeah. One thing I do want to talk about is we did a seminar down in Melbourne for Alex Edwards. We did. Who uh, hosted us. Mm-hmm. That was our first Canine Paradigm Together seminar. Yeah. Yeah, it was very special. Well, the problem with it is, and like I feel bad, I understand now about when I stitched up Jay and Chad about doing this, when I was like, hey, you guys do a podcast together, you can just do a seminar together, go ahead now, do it, is that it's not easy to do a seminar with someone Mm. because we don't train exactly the same. We're covering different topics. It's like nothing that you don't do anything I disagree with and I don't think I do anything you disagree with. So it's, but we do things differently. We do things differently. And effectively every trainer does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so it's kind of a tricky one. So it was really, you know, it was two different seminars. People went to one on Saturday and then in another one at the same place with the same people on Sunday. Mm. Seemed to work. People were happy. Yeah. People were happy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's the main thing. You gauge it by how people feel about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Glowing reviews. Mm. But I, I don't know. Does anybody ever come up to you afterwards and go, oh, look, I don't think that was a very good seminar. I have had it before. <laughs> Not for me, but for other seminars that people have run, yeah, I've had yeah, people then, come up and say, mm, wasn't uh, wasn't what I expected. Yeah, but then 
maybe that happened about us and didn't get back to us. Oh, I think maybe Alex is protecting us. People should be honest. Maybe Alex is protecting. Well, us. He, he could be. And I mean, the point is, if if there's something you need to grow in, people need to tell you. Yeah, that's true. Mm. So if you thought it was shit, let us know. <laughs> Do it privately. You don't. <laughs> you don't need to post it on Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Oof. That's been uh, exciting over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's certainly ignited once again, hasn't it? Yeah. I just kind of wish, I know that, you know, we're probably going to talk about it, but, and that kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm about to say, but a lot of the people who are putting inflammatory things on Facebook do so for the inflammation. And, you know, the, the algorithm on Facebook works to incite outrage. Like the more pissed off you are by something, the more likely it is to show it to you. The mm. more the more likely you are to look at it and engage with it. Yep. And therefore, the more likely Facebook is to show it to you. And I wish that I could convey to people like stop sharing that shit. When someone is being a doofus on Facebook, yep. stop sharing it and stop commenting on it and just let it let it disappear by itself. A doofus? A doofus, yeah. You mean a shit? <laughs> Is that? Yeah. I don't think doofus sums it up well enough for mm. some of these people. I mean, they're complete garbage. Mm. Mm. It's an interesting topic. You know, the post that we kind of happened yesterday or whatever it was, comparing sport dog trainers and pet dog trainers with no acknowledgement that there's a crossover in there. I don't know a single person and I know all the people named. I know Bart very, very well. Mm. I know Michael Ellis. I know Ivan. I don't know a single person on the planet that just became a sport dog trainer, a world champion sport dog trainer, or world. It's an evolution. Yeah, it's always an evolution. You start with a dog. It's like being an engineer. You don't just wake up one morning and you're an engineer. Mm. You go to school. You go to your careers officer. You decide what you want to do. And some, I mean, you know, some people will follow in the footsteps of family and decide to do it. But you still got to learn all the processes and then get to the point where you decide, do I want to do this as a career or not? Yeah. It's the same thing with sport dog trainers. Yeah. They get a dog, they get a puppy, you know, they or they go down and sit down at a club as a young kid and watch people train dogs and think, fuck, this looks fun. You know, I could I could have a stab at that. Mm. And then they apprentice and mentor under people and go to seminars and spend a long time learning about different types of behavior and they practice and they learn and they make fuck ups and, and on and on and on goes the saga of learning the evolution of whether or not you want to become a sport dog trainer yeah. or a trainer in general. Yeah. You know, I can speak to that a little bit because on the podcast, I talk about how that's the kind of training that I'm into and, and have steered my clientele to be that. But the truth is like me, like everybody else, uh, everybody starts in training pet dogs and that's where the money is. Mm. That's where there's actual money. It is. Because, and this is one of the, you know, it's a funny one, right? So I've had lots of people say that comparatively the Skype sessions that I do with people is cheap. Yep. And it is compared to what some other people are charging. And especially if you just go for a, uh, by the hour rate, um, I charge less than if I'm out because I'm literally at my house, mm. right? So it's pretty comfortable. And there's there's no, no travel time. There's no travel costs. The mm. overheads are small, you know, yep. blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, I the type of clients that I like to have, the people who, like for me at the moment, my average client is a, a starting out dog trainer. So a professional yep. that has been doing it for a little while. That's my average client. And so I'm you know, acutely aware that I'm disposable. No one needs the service I'm providing. Mm. Absolutely no one needs the service I'm providing. If there is a, um, if ever there's a luxury item, it's a sport dog. 
Yep. No one needs a high-performance dog. Well, to be honest, most of the seminars that we have or conduct or organise or arrange or go to or anything like that, I mean, it's not for general public. It's for budding dog trainers who want extra curriculum and want to learn extra things themselves. Yeah. Let's be real here. A lot of the stuff that we learn in some of these seminars, 95 even more percent of people won't ever do it. You know, like they just won't do it. It serves no practical application in their life. They should do it. They'd be better off if they did it, but they won't do it. Mm. They just won't do it. You'll convert some of those people, a small percentage of your clients over. But saying that all these fantastic skills that we learn, that the general public is going to pick it up and run with it, you're kidding yourself. They won't mm. do it. Just, I mean, I've been in the industry long enough to know they, you know, they will not do it. They'll, they'll like it as a token gesture. They'll start off with it. And that's what I'm saying. You'll convert some people to go ahead and do it. Yeah. But the vast majority, they won't do it. But as then as dog trainers that are learning that stuff, you distill it into a way that you can use it. I agree with that. It's important for the trainer. Yeah. It is important for the trainer. And you and I have made a lot of, well, we've made a lot of discussion on this podcast before about our recommendation of further knowledge, of educating yourself further. Constant education. Yeah. Ongoing, constant education. I simply cannot emphasize the importance of that enough. Mm. I think every trainer who is, and this is, I say this at the NDTF course, start and finish of it every single time. This is a vocation that never ends, mm. you know. And if you if you if you want it to end, you're not really excited about it. It's not the right vocation for you. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's a, this comes from a movie. This phrase, but it's a vocation, not a vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, you get into dogs, you've got to see the journey through. But it's like everything else. If you went to your tax accountant, you want to make sure that that guy is studied up and he knows every single year that they bring updates into your tax how you can better benefit from, you know, your returns and so forth. Yeah. If you go to a dog trainer, you want to know that that man or woman is well-versed in behavioral sciences, that they actually know what they're talking about, that they do attend seminars, that they do mentor to people still. And as you point out quite regularly, even Tiger Woods has a coach, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that the important thing is you can be the best in your game, but if you're not getting updated, you're not the best in your game. Yeah. You're just an arrogant son of a bitch who's bitter and twisted which is what some of these people at home are doing now, they're looking to create relevance for themselves. Mm. They're sitting at home. And I mean, there's people in Australia who do this as, as well. They're sitting at home. They haven't got a lot. No. Name them, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> but I see some of the content that they put out and I think to myself, you just want people to acknowledge that you're still alive. It's marketing, mm. you know? And I mean, we all do it to some degree. All of us do it. If you don't market, you're dead. So you got to do it. You got to market, but there's a way to market, you know. And it's like some of these people on professional radio who are shock jocks. They just say the most insanely controversial things because, as the Skyhooks said, who was an early '70s Australian band, there's a horror movie right there on my TV, and it's the 6:30 News. Yeah, this sort of shit makes people feel. Passionate. Well, but this is passionate the in the wrong direction. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. We when, did. When people are monetizing their their social media traction, yeah. which is what they're doing, there is no such thing as bad, bad press. Yeah, You've got to you drive people to it. your site. That's right. You, and you, you want to be insta famous. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's the issue is the more outrageous you are, the more you piss off people, yeah. the more they consume of your media to mm. infuriate themselves. Yeah. And that fuels your money-making machine. Mm. And the problem is as well, like, man, it it pains me so much that this is a fact though, is that these terrible dog trainers, 
and I'm pissed off that we're talking about it again, but we kind of have to, right? Because mm. it's it's so topical. Is that they have strong support base from people who think that they helped their dog because they did get them out of a problem with their dog, right? And those people don't know what they don't know. That's right. And the, so the, that's the problem is they have no interaction with anybody else. So they're still worshiping the wrong God. That's right. And mm. it's true. They did fix their problem. Now yeah. they fixed it in an unethical or certainly not the best manner, mm. but that problem dog is no longer a problem dog for that person. Yep. Now the problem is if you ask that dog, how do you feel about life at the moment? The dog's wishing for death. Mm. That's the issue with this situation. But the people don't know that because 99% of people can't read body lang- dog body language. You know, a lot of dog trainers can't read bloody dog body language. That, it's a skill that has to be learned. A lot of people don't have that skill inherent. Um, and a lot of people still in the industry don't really know what they're looking at when they look at a dog. Mm. And so they see that dog as that I would look at and go, that poor fuck is shut down and he's scared. He's yeah. scared now. He's more scared of you and making mistakes that you will punish him for than he was of the thing that he was reacting of. Mm. And so now he's just in this spiral of, um, of shit. His life is pure shit. Yeah. And most people can't see that. They yep. see that picture of their dog and they go, Oh, look how calm he is. Look mm. how, look how chilled out that dog is. Right. But they don't know what's going on in his head that he's a, he's a mess. And so that's what kills me is that the people you, you can't, you can't call out these people on their pages and so forth because they have people and they will never, they will never change their own mind because they have people. They don't have to defend themselves. They have other people doing it. They have other people diving in to defend them. And those people, you know, probably are good people and don't know that they have been fleeced by that person. They have been sold the snake oil and they are now they're just loyal by decree. Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, yeah, they're not bad people. They not they, at all. They only know what they know. That's right, mm. and they don't like. They just like I say, most dog trainers can't read that. Let alone the average person that mm. bought a, a dog that was too much for them and didn't fulfill it and didn't understand what like biological fulfillment and all that kind of things are. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that yesterday as well. Fuck, we're gonna be all over the place today, but. Like in that post it had about, you know, sport dog and doesn't know, you know, those people don't know how to make a dog calm in the house or whatever. Like, you know, I, I, you only have to look on the social media of those people for two seconds. Their dogs that they are champions with are in their houses with them. You look at. I like Ivan. How do you say Ivan's last name? Balabanov. Balabanov. Yeah. Balabanov. Yeah. Balabanov. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard last name to pronounce. Yeah. Ivan. We'll call him Ivan. Yes, Ivan. Yeah. Everyone knows who Ivan is. Ivan responded to that post quite adequately. Yeah. Ferociously. Yeah, it was ferocious and he had every right to because yeah, he was, he yeah, was yeah. being called out to defend himself. Yeah. And I believe that he defended himself with proper etiquette. Yeah. Because what he did was he pointed out everything that he was being called on. Yeah. That was largely incorrect. Yeah. And you could see his genuine frustration in that. You could see... Like he was genuine, Ivan was genuinely pissed off that mm. he had to even justify that position when, you know, his resume is on the, on his website, everything is available there. Yeah. And it was, the post was done without any checking of that kind of thing. And Ivan's got loads of content online of his dogs that he's won world championships with mm. just chilling out. Yeah. Just being totally relaxed, normal dogs. Yeah. And, but it, it does speak to a little bit like, it's a jealousy thing, I believe. It, you, the thing is as well, I think that 
as you said already, you don't know what you don't know, right? And yep. this is interesting to me when I see a lot of, say, breeders of dogs who will say, yeah, yeah, this dog is a working lion dog, totally capable of the work. And you go, well, have you participated in the work? And whatever it is, it could be hunting, it could be, you know, bite mm. work, it could be anything, right? It doesn't matter. And they say no. And you go, well, I believe that you think this dog is, but you don't know what that criteria is. Yep. Like you have no idea. So yep. you – you yep. would probably pass a lie detector in saying like, you see this with German Shepherds all the time, mm. right? Show breeders that say, oh, well, we put in a, a working line dog six generations back. So like he's totally, you know, his, his grand, great, great grandfather's got an IPO one title. So he's totally mm. suitable. For, he's totally capable of the work. And, you know, he's, he's ferocious because when people come over, he barks at the door. <laughs> so he's a hundred percent like legit working dog. Yeah, and, that's interesting. And you could mm. put those people on a lie detector and yeah, they will they pass. Believe it. They yep. will pass. They're yep. not lying to you. They yep. just don't know. Yeah. And it's like simple Ignorance stuff. Ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. I was mm. demonstrating this to someone the other day. I'm not sure if you were there about just different bloodline of dog that we're working through keeping comfortable on the inside of the bite suit, right? Mm. So biting the, the bicep pocket, we're working through grip issues and it's a very slow, meticulous process, right? And then I showed everybody, I was like, but look at this. And knowing the bloodline of the dog, I then caught a bite on the like tricep or the closer to the, the forearm. And it's a different dog, mm. like different bite, different everything, right? Because that is a, a bloodline of dog that has most of his ancestors were selected for their capacity to do IPO, where they're biting on the outside of the sleeve. Yep. And people, we take for granted how different the picture is to the dog of being on the outside versus being on the inside. Mm. Now I can demonstrate that too. I can get that dog that looks like a monster still on the suit, but just on a different position, a different bite. I can, I can show that. Mm. And then I can show that he's not a problem. He's not like he's a bad dog, but he's not as comfortable on the inside. Just a lot more intimate on the inside of the sleeve than on the outside. Yeah. And Mm. so there's nuances to that fucking degree Mm. about literally the difference between biting on the bicep and biting on the tricep and yep. the difference that will cause with the dog and whether a dog is more suitable to be a bicep or tricep or, or leg dog, right? Mm. Like that. And we know that kind of thing because we're doing it. Yeah. The breeders of those dogs that have only done the one thing, th- there's just no way they could know. Mm. They just don't know. And it's not, like I say, it's not, it's not a maliciously misguided information. It's, yep. There's nothing malicious about it. They just don't know. Yeah. They haven't ventured further than their backyard. Yeah, maybe not even that. It's just that this is their specialty and all their dogs go into that program, yep. right? And so they don't know how he would perform in another program. And also the other thing that happens too is people, that they sell the dog, they get feedback through them and they're usually people that don't really participate in much themselves. Yeah. But they'll come back and say, oh, you're right, this dog's a monster. Yeah. Because it's doing exactly what you were saying before. Barks it'll, at the door. it'll bark at the door and scare people away. And I mean, I've got to tell you, you know yourself, some of the dogs that come here for aggression work, I say to people, I know that you believe this is aggression and in some degrees it actually is. However, it's very mild compared to what I see. It's still aggression and it still needs resolution. We still need to fix the problem, but it's far less intense than problematic aggression. Things that I'm looking at to say, wow, that's, you know, a different kettle of fish altogether. Yeah. And so the reason I kind of have gone down this rabbit hole is because I want to talk about two things. The first is that one where you say, a lot of the people who have dogs are too much for them and, and they're displaying aggression. Like I'm an aggression rehab guy. This is a lot of people. And it's like, I smack the e-collar on mm. and I fucking cook that dog until he can't, he displays no further aggression. Yeah. Well, the only reason that works is because that dog is fearful. Yeah. And like, you know, you guys are dealing with it here. You've pro- probably got 
you know, half your board and trains are probably aggression related things. Right. And, and when I'm mm. getting called out to places, it's more often than not that. And this is what I was saying earlier, that that's where the money is in dog it's training. It's a big market. Yeah. yeah aggressive and problematic dogs are, is the market. Yeah. Because as I was saying, when I was sort of indicating before, the reason I have to keep my prices low for coaching is no one needs me. I don't, mm. if, when, when the purse strings have to be tightened, I'm fully aware that I'm one of the first things that gets cut away because you don't need, no one needs to learn Nipopo from me. Yep. No one needs it. Right. Mm. But what you do need is if your dog's aggressive in the home and you love him and you're not going to move him on, you do need someone to fix that. I agree. That is a, that is a need. Yep. Right. And that is not a luxury item. Having a dog is a luxury item, but if you've decided it's not yep. and you're keeping this dog and he's displaying problem behaviors, the person coming over to fix those problem behaviors for you needs to be on point, right? Like mm. needs to really be able to do that because this is a need. It has to be done. And yep. no matter what they charge, you're going to have to pay it if you if want you to want keep the, problem the dog. Fixed. Yep. Right? Mm. But the problem then is that the people who are just coming around to crush that dog are only able to do so because the dog is fearful anyway. Yeah. It's so rare in aggression cases that I find anyway that I actually have to address the aggression case. Mm. It's that the dog is fucking scared. So yep. let's make him tougher. Let's do some box work and let's do all kinds of things, right? Mm. And now we can start actually putting him, exposing him to the trigger and manipulating that, right? Now that we've got a much tougher dog. But so often I don't, it doesn't happen. And I was talking like that. Sorry, let me explain. You never get to the point where you need to do that because you've fixed the problem in the dog by just doing the other. Mm. Because I, I've got a pretty significant waiting list at the moment with all the travel and all that kind of thing. And I, I tell people as well, like I get calls about aggression because, you know, I've done a lot of it in my area and there is, there isn't many full-time balance trainers in the inner West that can handle a, a proper aggression case, yeah. right? Yeah. We send people to you that won't come out here. Yeah, and, yeah. and now I've got an issue of, I, I, I say to people all the time, I'm like, hey, it, it'll probably be six weeks before you can get an appointment with me because for like for an aggression case like that, I don't want it to be fast. I'll, I'll book you a half day. Mm, right? It needs the time it needs. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't want to be looking at my clock saying, hey, I've got to get out of here, right? We yep. need to really address it properly. So before I can find a full half day for you, a full half day, a half day for you, that might be six weeks. But I have now an online, it's on YouTube. I can send people these links to it. And I'm like, this is, if you want to book the appointment, we can do that. And you also need to know that I'm not uh, very good at ongoing support at the moment. So, you know, but if there's no one else and you've decided it's going to be me, this is what it's going to be. Yep. But what I need you to do is watch these videos. And I have like a thing that I send them the YouTube link and they watch it. And I said, it, step one, I'm not even turning up at the appointment. Like if we book the appointment, you have to show me a week out that these things are done. And mm. it's like effective communication structure and stuff that I've got them doing. Right. And some box work and that kind of thing. Right. I would say at least half the people cancel the appointment on me because they're like, oh, he's no longer an asshole. He's fixed. And I don't bother explaining to those people, that's because you did all those fucking things, yeah. right? Like it's not that your dog is suddenly stopped displaying aggression, the trigger went away. It's because we- you've, you've given it work to do. Yeah, we've totally mm. indirect. You've started training your dog. Yeah. Like even just the, the, the process of loading a clicker, mm. that five minutes a day can totally change a dog's life. Yeah. The idea that you no longer, most of these people then are feeding their dog from a bowl, right? And so the idea that you no longer just, here's your big slop of mess, good luck eating that. Mm. Uh, now you've got to work and engage with me. That changes a whole dog's mindset, okay? Now there's like, you know, in the little video thing, it talks about counter conditioning, not like obvious triggers, like ring the doorbell, feed him the food. Just yep. little shit that is not difficult. Anybody can follow that video. Mm. That is 
when you talk layered stress model, that's reducing the dog to the point where his actual trigger was never that big a deal. And now it's not an issue. Mm. And I'm happy to get those calls. I'm, ha- I'm totally like, a, I'm, I'm not sure to work. I'm, I'm totally happy when people call me and say, Hey, actually the dog's not doing any of the problems anymore. And I get no money out of these people. They get to watch the video and, and, I, and I, that could probably cost me a half hour in phone time. Yeah, but you're an ethical guy. Yeah, but this is the thing. This is where I'm going with it, right? Mm. It's not just about my ethics. It's about the problem with most reactive dogs is they're fearful mm. and using That's fear right. to just make them more fearful of you. Yeah, it works, right? Yeah. But that is the shittiest thing available for you to do. Well, to it works dog. until it doesn't work. And that's yeah. the problem is that you're bottling energy inside. And I mean, you're squeezing that way down inside. And the problem for that is, as you've heard me talk about before with aggression being the onion, you know, like you're not dealing with the core, you're compacting the core. Yeah. And when you're compacting the core, it's only a matter of time before that core explodes somewhere else. And it's, it gives energy elsewhere. And that's the problem for a lot of these dogs. And that's where people get fucked up by their dogs is because they've got to train around. As you said, they squash the dog, squash the dog. But what they're doing is they're compressing internal energy that needs to be expressed somewhere that's else. Right. And it has to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. And there's an old biblical saying, which I keep telling a lot of clients all the time, is idle hands are the devil's tools. And Esther Schalk said this a lot in her seminars that she's done. Give the dog a job to do. The mm-hmm. dog's got to have something to do. I've been on nose works before where I've seen people working with dogs. And it's, you know, people have said to me, oh, my dog was so aggressive before I started nose works. Now there's no intention of aggression anymore. I said that's because it's got drive expression. Yeah, you know it's got something to do. It's got a it's got a job. It's got a mission. You're not sitting it in a backyard brewing up trouble and fuckery. Yeah. You know it's got something to do. It's got somewhere with for that energy to be dispersed into rather than thinking of destroying the world. Yeah, something Bart told me a long time ago, and it was one of those things that you know you hear it and you know everything he says is going to be good advice. And I wrote it down, not knowing how I would use it. You know, Mm. like you hear it and you go, okay, I know that's important. I don't understand it yet, but I know it's important. And he said something about whether he intends to do any scent work with a dog or not. If he's doing bite work, he also does scent work. And I started implementing that. So my dog can't track, but he can do some scent work. Like he can find an article and indicate on it and that kind of thing. Right. Which would be help if I ever do decide I'm going to teach him to track. A lot of the foundation is there Mm. and we started foundation tracking, but it, we, he can't track, right? Yeah. But he knows how to use his nose and regularly can. And that's part of the box work as well. It's dispersion. But what I think of scent work is that it's meditation for dogs, mm. right? It, it's a way of- It's, it's a perpetual reinforcement. Yeah. It's mm. a calming, soothing, like slow behavior. Like when a dog's really scenting properly and enjoying it on his own terms, like on his own time, yep. you don't see the tail's not up, the tail's not wagging. They're like, the tail is down. It's not in a tucked, fearful position, but they're, you know- Fully concentrating. That's it's immersion. Right. That's the right. The dog is immersed in its world. And so I understand Can I just now, say something on that quickly? Yeah. I've seen dogs walk over reinforcement when they're tracking before because yeah. that's not the reinforcement for them. It's been on the track. It's yeah. been on the hunt. Yeah. And they've walked over food and people have got distressed about that. And it's, no, no, just let it go. Yeah. Just yeah. watch what happens next. Yeah. That's, that's, mm. that, that is no longer the reinforcer. That's no longer the reinforcer. Yeah. Mm. And so I think with dogs that we are intentionally making as as highly strung as we possibly can for the bite work, yeah. we owe it then to those dogs to be giving them an outlet for, exactly. calm, for calm expression. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the scent work comes in, right? Mm. So it's no accident that in a sports that have like a – 
you know, it's a complete picture of a dog, yeah. right? Where he does the obedience and that's engagement with his handler. He does his protection because that is his uh, courage and demonstration of his ability to engage with the enemy, if you're going to say that, or the helper. And then the scent work is that he can also keep his shit totally together, be calm and meditate, right? Yeah. And, you know, and every sport, even PSA that doesn't have uh, tracking still has in the level three area search. So the dog has to, like the dog, if you're going to have a successful dog in that program, you have to teach that dog from a young age to use his nose, Mm -hmm. right? He has to be able to scent. And so let me tie it all back around is that, guess what? They're all sport fucking techniques that are going to calm down and make a dog more livable. And, And it pissed me off when I was looking at these, I was, you know, watching it all unfold on Facebook yesterday. And biting my tongue not to engage. Like, as I know that's the wrong thing to do, right? Mm. Now, we can talk about it here because that's not pushing followers to there. So, if you're listening to this, don't go and find the post, right? Like, don't don't hunt it down and create the engagement. Yeah, don't don't monetize these people. Don't give them the, you know, this is, this is like. Um, we, we can give you enough information to say that a hack who is not, who has displayed no discernible skill in dog training, mm. called out three of the world's best dog trainers. Yep. That's all you need to know. Mm. Right? Well, the other thing you've got to understand too, and I'll say this with a hint of arrogance, if someone doesn't appear on this show, because we're happy to have most people on this show, if they don't appear on this show, there's a good reason for that. Also, we don't have access to everybody. but Not what, everybody. I'm, if, I, that's true. If, but what you will notice is if someone says, you know who's training they like? And then there's an empty space. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's because they said one out. of their names. Yeah. And we go, oh, we can't have that on yeah, the show. It's the one who shall not be spoken about. Yeah. So I'm watching it unfold and I'm looking at my dog who is a sport dog, mm. right? Has first leg of his PSA too, enjoys doing bite work, is by most accounts a super highly strung dog. I'm watching him chilling on the couch and then me and my kid are playing with like a Nerf gun fight, right? Turns out like those skills are genetic. He's fucking good with a gun. No big deal. Um, (laughs) And my Malinois is asleep on the couch while there's bullet, there's Nerf bullets flying around the house. Yeah. Some of them hitting him in the flanks while he's asleep. He kind of vaguely opens his eyes, has a look at it and is like, whatever, that's, this is not my opportunity to express drive. Yeah. Right. And that has only come from his sport training. And if I know how to do that, if I, as a sport dog training enthusiast, right. Even if I didn't have the background in pet dog training that I have, because Mm. that's where everybody fucking starts. Even if that wasn't a case, even if I teleported into this capacity now using what I know from the sport, because I have intentionally made a dog as crazy as a dog can fucking be. I intentionally got him to that point in order to live with him. I've also had to, take all that out on command and have him relaxed on cue and not wearing an e-collar in the house, not double downing, not being fucking like stimmed into putting his head on the floor. Yeah. Nude in my house, laying on his back with his belly in the air while there's a fucking Nerf gun fight going on. Hang on, on. who was nude? The dog. Okay. Okay. I'm glad we clarified that. The dog. (laughs) No collars. No collars in the house. Yeah. And so it really frustrates and, and fucking pisses me off. Like I say, I don't know a single person who's a high-level sport competitor and does really well with it that, first of all, isn't able to live with their dog in the house. I don't know a single person. Now, there's plenty of people who are sports competitors that are mediocre sports competitors and have highly strong dogs they can't live with, right? Mm. I get that. There's people who try to do that. And I've tried it myself. I tried to have a dog that I had no relationship with, and I couldn't accomplish it, right? I couldn't get the dog as good as I wanted without having a tight relationship with the dog. Mm. So I know for fact all those people that – have the super highly high performance dogs are livable. 
the world champions around the place that have that, those yep. dogs are sleeping on the bed with a lot of those people mm. or at least are in the home and are able to chill out. So it's not, it's not that one of those things is mutually exclusive of the other. In fact, you need one to have the other, I yep. think. There is some advice that I believe is poorly given out by some sport trainers. And that is, you know, like I was reading that post and although I disagreed with the vast majority of it, there was an old mate in Australia who was giving people advice to amp their dogs up, you Mm. know, like telling pet dog people to train their dogs in expressive drive. The problem with that is these people have no intention of doing what you and me and other dedicated dog training people will do. So this advice is fine for people who will go out and, you know, like spend 15, 20 minutes a day giving their dog the chance to express the drive that they need to do. But pet dog people aren't going to follow this to the T's that we give them to. Now, I'm not here to say that, as I said before, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here before, there will be a percentage of people who will do it. You'll get people that will come on board and they will be people that will start to follow you closely or follow instructors or mentors more closely but the vast majority of these people won't do it and therefore they won't be able to live with that dog Mm. so the the dog that does get amped up in the in the clients back home in the you know mr and mrs smith's backyard they won't live with that dog so therefore that is terrible advice to give to those people what they do need is they need some sort of middle ground well that's right though people who are causing that problem are only teaching you how to train in drive yes. and not teaching you how to manage the dog outside right. that time, which is 99% of dog training. Yes. Right. Yep. Like the actual training time where you, like, like say, you know, again, I'll use myself as an example because I don't want to speak for anybody else. Right. My dog gets a little window of time where it's like, okay, motherfucker, go crazy. Yep. Like this is it. Yeah. Right? And that allows me to then have a large proportion of the time where it's like, hey, no, you had that that window. Yep. And that is the hardest part to teach. Well, not the hardest part, but that is you have to be the most consistent. You have to be uh, the most thorough. You have to have the most guidelines for the dog, right? And that's what people leave out because it's not flashy to mm. make a video explaining how to teach a dog to relax on the couch, to actually teach him to relax rather than force him to relax, right? Yep. Teach him to choose to relax rather than make him so scared of make, doing anything that he appears yeah, to be Yeah, that's terrible relaxed, advice. Right? Mm. But that's where people leave that out. Like it's no good to say, oh, this is how we only train and drive. Mm. Like a big part of it, and it's like when I teach this, it is like here's how we create the window for yep. drive. Right, we we constantly are using the saying the restaurant open, the restaurant shut. That's what we mean by that. Yeah, there's no fucking restaurant. Mm. <laughs> it's just, not a real place. <laughs> you explained it well the other day when I was listening to you doing the seminar in Melbourne, and where you said that you know the whole Napopo thing is a story based on interpretation. Mm. You know, and I like that the way that you spoke about that. You know, like you said, this is Bart's story. Bart developed this, and it's essentially his story, and we all have our slight variation on how we explain that story. Mm. And you're right, you know, like some of the best trainers I've ever seen and worked with and trained alongside, they're good storytellers. They express things well. They have a good story and a good explanation in their interpretation of things. And I think some of the best trainers that I've ever worked with interpret things very well that the general public can understand it. That it it puts in perspective of what you actually need to know and the skills and the mindset that you personally need to develop to on-teach that to your dog. Because that's the most important thing. If the person doesn't understand the story, they can't interpret that to the dog. Mm. And that's when real damage happens is when when there's such 
a broken linkage between you and the dog that there is no tale to tell. The dog is looking at you, you're speaking Greek and the dog's speaking Italian. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the real issue for the dog. Yeah, I agree. And that you know, that's sort of been in the limelight a little bit this week as well. And the whole the story of the Nepopo stuff is it's a formula, mm. it's a system it's how dare you say systems yeah. people who teach systems are, are apparently they're, well, this is it, they're the right? biggest frauds in the universe yeah but what it's not <laughs> is a method yeah right and this is this is what people miss about that and at the core of it every you know but they have had so many students around the world that have mm. learned it from them and everybody's interpretation of it is going to be a little bit different but the core is the same right yep. and there's nothing in that that isn't just behavioral science there's nothing that can't be backed up with mm behavioral science right it maybe things are in a little bit of a different sequence to what people might expect yep but it's all there but how you actually do it is different for every person and every dog exactly how you apply the pressure and in into the behavior what that what form that pressure takes on how the dog perceives it all these kind of things and what the behavior is going to be that's variable depending on the dog and the behavior that you want and then the way that you reinforce the dog out of the behavior is variable depending on the dog and what you want, right? Mm. So it isn't a method. It isn't like, oh, like Nipopo people, like when I'm teaching a seminar, I'm not like this. I actually am very careful not to say this is how to teach a dog to heal. Mm. There's many ways to teach a dog to heal. And people have done it before Nipopo. Exactly, right? Yeah. And that's just a word. It is a word. It's exactly. That's right. Operant conditioning was a word given to something that occurs naturally in nature. Yeah. You know, it's just observable and we just thought, okay, for everybody to be able to understand this and have some form of comprehension around it, let's name it so exactly. it can have some sort of universal knowledge that we can all bind together and say, okay, now we've actually got a formula that we can apply. Yeah. Mm. And and it's a tricky one because that the word, you know, Bart was on here. He explained it that mm. they – he trademarked that word because it, it was his expression. His of abbrevi- what, yeah, it's his, it's his expression of the way that he trains. Yes. And in order to be able to continue to do that in the current society, trademark the word. Like, yep. no big deal. No, anyone He's smart. Can, anyone, he was clever. Exactly. He's clever. Anyone can train a dog however yeah. they want. You can, use, you can do whatever you want to train the dog. Yep. But if you want to say out loud that you're teaching with – his version of Nipopo, he needs to give you his blessing to do that, which is fair enough, right? Yep. That is totally fine. He was very clever. He cleverly did. He is a clever man. Yeah. He's a, a very clever man. He is a genius, yeah. As I say, like, it's not like there's – it's about the theory of how a dog learns and maximize the dog's attitude as well as creating stable behavior, right? It's not like you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, right? You you must stick within the laws of physics, right? Mm. You must stick within the laws of behavioral science, which exist, yeah. right? And the laws of nature. There's no magic. Mm. It's a sequence in which you can do things, but how you actually do it, the tools you actually use, the behaviors that you actually teach, that's up to you, mm. right? And, you know, I talk about it, you know, one of the ways that we've taught you get a green dog that's obsessed with the box. You can use his desire to dive into that box to teach him to heal. Now that would be an absolutely ridiculous and stupid way that to expect that you're going to teach a dog to heal with a, with a puppy that doesn't know the box. It's mm. not going to work. Right? So some people, that's how they do it. Who are, you know, highly skilled Nipopo people. They get green dogs that someone else has raised that those people have made obsessed with the box and the dog dives in, puts his feet in the box. Then one day he dives in, puts his feet in the box and there's a clack clack board in there and he also knows a clack clack and that's shocking and he looks up at you and you click and then suddenly you've got a dog in a heel position, right? And he learns it, right? That's yep. one way to do it. 
And that is super effective for a dog that's raised in that system. Mm. But if you've got a puppy and you're free shaping, which is also part of the Nepopo program, that would be a ridiculous thing to do. You don't do that in the slightest, right? Mm. So it's, it isn't that there's a method. And I know this is why when Bart teaches his stuff, like when I'm teaching it, I am even more prescript than him. That's just how I am. I can't be less prescript. I can't, Bart is very much like, no, this is the, as he would say, this is the alphabet. Now you go write your own story with it. Like he doesn't teach anybody like this is the way to get a dog to heal. It's these are, these are the reinforcers you use in order to make the dog understand exactly what you want. But the, the, the way that you actually get that from the dog, that's mm. up to you. Oh, yep. here's, here's five or six different ways that he knows. And he'll explain those, but like, which one do you do, Bart? And he's like, whichever is the correct one for the dog that is in front of me. And he changes his mind when he sees something that is going to benefit it anyway. Exactly. Which he's, he's made mention of that many times when he's been on the course, when I've been doing the course before, you know, I mean, that was fundamentally why he went from old Napopo into new Napopo. Yeah. He just looked at the system and he said, that's a redundant way of doing Napopo now. We need to reformulate it and create a new system because this is the better way to train dogs. Yeah. That's so- smart. See, that's a, exactly. an evolutionary trainer is a smart trainer. Yeah, the way eyes. that people want to train now and the dogs that they're training, this Correct. is a better system. Yeah. Back when people were only training extreme dogs and waiting till they were adults, this yep. is the way to do it. Yeah. And now that people are understanding you sh- can and should train puppies and the system is being used on less extreme dogs, like yeah, just average normal pet dog, mm. this is the way to do it. This is the way to still fulfill the principles without having to adhere to a particular method. Yep. It's about fulfilling that. That's what the word I've been looking for. Fulfill the principles of it yep. without having to adhere to a specific method. Mm. And again, to circle back around, it's very frustrating to see those three names called out, but Ivan and Michael. Just let me say for a minute here, if you're not looking at the work of these three gentlemen, you are insane. Yeah. Like especially if you want to get into sport dog training or even if you want to get into- Dog um, training. Dog training, yeah. Just dog training because this is what I'm saying is that- I mean, all three of those men, I've studied their work over time, more so Michael and, and Bart, but I mean, I love what Ivan does. I yeah. mean, you can't look at his dogs and not be impressed with that man. He's a yeah. very impressive guy. And so the thing is, you know, training's evolving all the time and, and opportunities to train and so for- you know, Bart's not competing anymore. Neither's Michael. Although, remember when he was on, he said he was thinking about starting to get back into mm. some Mondio. Ivan still competes, right? There's probably better dog trainers. There's probably a person who could smoke all three of them in any discipline. Yeah. But what that person is not doing is teaching the fucking masses like those three guys are. Exactly. And that is like, there are so many people that carry the imprint of their training around and maybe don't even know it because they learned it through someone else that learned it through them. Right. Mm. Like there is that, like the three of them together have caused, I think more influence in the dog training community, in the dog training world than then you couldn't possibly pick three more influential and better teachers. And so while they're all phenomenal dog trainers, handlers, and have been champions in their in their chosen field. They're all gr- also great storytellers as yeah, well. They're they tell teachers a great of story. people. Yeah. They're teachers of people, mm. right? And and they have trained so many fucking dog trainers to do things and not just go on to be other competitors. That like people who they're training to be competitors would be the minority. Yeah. People who they're training to go into people's homes and fix behavioral issues with dogs would be the 
overwhelming majority of their students, what yep. they've gone on to do. And it's the second and third hand effects. Like this is what, uh, again, like as I've been spooling, you can see, you can probably tell I'm pretty fucking angry about it, right? Is A the, lot of people are. There's a lot of yeah. outrage out there. I mean, you can see by the responses yeah. how infuriated, insulted people are because it really was a disgusting attack. Yeah. And so the second and third hand effects, there's people who are saying like for me out there to say, oh, like Pat Stewart taught me this trick. Well, I can tell you, I didn't invent shit. No, I have never had a, an original thought in dog training in my fucking mind. I've learned everything that I know from somebody else. And a lot of that but we all is have. from, no, that's right. But a lot of that is from those guys. Yeah. Right? And so people who will then say, oh, Pat taught me this. I heard it on the canine paradigm, or I went to one of Pat's seminars, or I did a private lesson with Pat. He taught me this, right? And I get credited for it, right? But I learned it from them. And so then you have to think about like extrapolate that out. Those people are now teaching that to someone and maybe they credited me or maybe they, that person then credits them. It all, for most of the knowledge that we as a community are using goes back to the teachings of those guys because they have put out a lot of content and have taken the time, energy, effort to take on students because teaching people is fucking hard, man. And it's a, you can never, yeah, you know, don't get me wrong. They've all made money doing what they're doing and good for them. You should, we're all trying to make money in this industry, Yeah. but the ongoing support that I know that all of them provide answering questions online, you know, getting tagged in posts and then giving their opinion on it. That's time that you're not getting paid for. Yep. That's because they actually give a fuck about making sure that people are training dogs in the right path. Mm. And what's interesting is, you know, I was thinking about it on the way out here. If only the, I know Bart's going to be at ICP. If only we could get, the, the three, three of them, them together. in a room. Yeah. Because that's never happened. And while they're, what's even the word? Um, they train very differently. Mm. They're, they're really different styles of the type of training all three of them do. As and the Thai say, same, same, but different. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And, and it's all effective. There's yep. no, uh, no arguing that everything that they do is effective. Many roads lead to Rome. Yeah, mm. yeah. So anyway, that's my kind of fucking rant about it. Yeah, it's um, good. Your points about your acquired knowledge and the mentors that you've had that have given you that time and space to create who you are. The one thing about it is when you become a teacher yourself, this is essentially something that we all have to do. We have to pass that torch to other people. Yeah. And I've made that abundantly clear on these episodes over time. And I just cannot see any other way. If people are that stupid and that jealous and that insecure that they're withholding that information, you are a lunatic, mm. like completely, because that will die with you. And there's many times where great minds have been so insecure about passing their institutional knowledge on to other people that that's forever lost to the world. I believe, and not only myself, but you know, great minds across the world believe, if you have access to knowledge, it's your responsibility to pass it on to the next generations. Yeah. I know I've said that before. I say that all the time in NDTF because... I've acquired knowledge from fantastic people and I still do. And it's so exciting that that there's people out there who want to give it to you. Some people might charge you for it, as we were talking about before, and there's nothing wrong with that. And to be honest, if people have worked a lifetime to acquire knowledge and they've spent time conjuring up ideas and thoughts and going out onto the field and, and putting a lot of time and effort into it, I do not see a problem with people making money out of it at all. To. You have to. It's, it's your livelihood. However, if you've got it, and you refuse to pass it on, you're a punk. You know, you really are a punk. You know what's interesting on that? Uh, I've had a couple of uh, uh, different Facebook, very small, not incidents, but things I've observed, right? Post-attribution is an interesting thing that gets around at the moment, right? So, you know, like, uh, I've been so fortunate in my time 
when I went to Sam Monty with my like hat in my hand and was like, please, sir, teach me about dog training. He, that's where all my foundation comes from, from Sam. Right. Then I was lucky enough to, you know, get time in the States to go to Michael Ellis's school. When Sam moved to Melbourne and I was, I was in the weeds and was like, fuck, I've got no one to train with, came to you and learned a shit ton from you. And then I've been lucky enough to that then, you know, broke into the community and have access to, you know, so many people that I've learned so much from, which has ultimately led to being a student of Bart and now teaching his system. Right. So I always say, and whenever I'm teaching, I say, here's a trick I learned from whoever. Right. Mm. And I got that from Forrest. Forrest is very good at that. Right. Forrest is sort of the master at like, here's where this came from. Yeah. Right? At giving that, at, that post attribution to people. But what I'm aware of, and I've seen people do it online is like someone will comment something and then they'll get in there and go, you learn that from me. <laughs> It's mm. like, hey, man, once you say it out loud, it's not yours anymore, Yeah, right? Like when you teach someone something, if someone comes to your seminar, they're literally buying that information from you, mm. right? So you can't get angry at them when they then use that information. And yep. the majority of people that are coming to your seminar, right, are dog trainers. Yep. So you can't then be pissed off when you see a dog trainer using your technique and be like, just remember I taught you that and it's like, it doesn't matter, bro. Like mm. you sold that information. That's not yours. The second it came out of your mouth, like literally as those words fell out of your face, then you don't own them anymore. Mm. You literally sold those to those people at the seminar. You sold that technique to those people. You got paid. That's fucking calm down and stop looking to be acknowledged about that. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that. But then recently I've seen people comment, like I saw someone comment something recently and I was like, it was a, in reference to a particular technique. And I was like, fuck, that sounds familiar. And it was my words, literally word for word typed out from this podcast. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's quite, and quite I had flattering, that, really. Well, I, but I wasn't, <laughs> and they'd given it as their own answer. Oh, right. Okay. And I had that like, oh, fuck you. That, that's, you didn't attribute me. Mm. And then I had to let it go. I'm like, hey, you, that's not your information anymore. Like you <laughs> sold that. You literally sold that technique. You yep. paid, people have paid to hear that and it's their, it's their information information now you got to not get upset about that well but i think every author must feel like that too right yeah and exactly people go and photocopy their work and yeah. plagiarize their work and yeah, yeah. yeah but what's interesting then right is like you see online when people do that and i've had this is the, the circumstance of the, you know, the person ended up deleting the post because they were challenged yeah they were challenged on some and of the information and couldn't answer it and yep. then tagged me and was like oh pat can probably answer that and i said no sorry i can't because like you <laughs> If you tagged me earlier with the original thing, I would happily defend And credited you. Yeah. And credited you. But there was no credit. It was like, oh, Pat can probably answer that. And then then I was like, no, I can't. I'm sorry. And I even, I threw some fuel on the fire. I even was like, yeah, have you considered this extra thing? Like I knew the answer to it, but they didn't. Mm. So that the post ended up getting deleted because they panicked. But then other times people have said, oh, like, you know, Pat told me this and then they give their interpretation of it. And if they get challenged of it, I'm straight in there yep. because it's like, yeah, like here's my reasoning. I'm happy to show my work. Mm. Right. But it's an interesting one because it, I understand where people, and then like I say, I'm, I'm a long, I'm a lot of rungs down that ladder. There's a lot of people above me that taught me that stuff. And I, then I think, Oh, I wonder how many times I've been that asshole. But can I just say something? And I mean them. this, this is from the heart. I believe you're the future. Oh, I, cut that out. Don't put that no, in. No, no, That's no. That's embarrassing. No, it's That's not that. embarrassing. It's I've got to say, I think you're the future this sport because you're not a lazy guy. You know? Yeah, but this is – that's uncomfortable. Don't leave that in. No, but it's, it's true. Weird. It's true. I'm paying you a real compliment. <laughs> I get it and thank yeah. you, but it's – I don't know. That's – I feel like there's yeah, so you're, much – You're not accepting a proper compliment. Like I, I'm, I'm saying this because I genuinely – you know, look, I've watched people in this industry over many years and – they get lazy. 
you know, they get complacent in things that they're doing and you're not like that. Like you're you're very studious and you follow things through properly. Like you're not content with just taking 20% of it and then just getting by with it. Like you research the rest of it and you look into the background and then you incorporate it into real delivery and real information that people can do something. Like I listened to you the other day doing your thing in Melbourne and I thought, man, this, you know, this fucking guy's on it. You know, you're right. You are actually right on it. And I mean, look, it's an honour and a privilege for me to watch somebody start to blossom in their career. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean it. Like, I, it's I nice it's to a, watch. I, I appreciate your support and, and I'm very thankful for everything you've done for me. But I don't know, say I'm the future. It's, it's a bit out. You are one of the futures. You know, like, you, I mean, you know, there's room for many. I guess when I refer to people like the three guys that we're talking about, they're titans of the industry. You yeah. know, they're people who have made that name. And I mean, and that's what you've got to aspire to that. You've got yeah. to aspire to be, yeah. you know, like not sit on the shoulders of giants, but look at to become a giant yourself for all the right reasons, not from arrogance or, you know, self-fulfillment or anything like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with self-fulfillment. Don't get me wrong, but there is a lot wrong about it when you utilize it in the wrong direction. And this is where people have gone wrong before because there are people out there that I see have had potential but they spend most of their time on their post just being relevant. Mm. It's just about, hey, I need, you know, I'm an attention whore and I need some attention. Mm. And that's sad to see because they're washouts. They're people who could have made it, but they got lazy. And I like the fact that when you're working with things that you're honest about it, you're honest about your own shortfalls, you're honest about things that you see are wrong. You know, you champion things well when people aren't advocating in the right direction. And we need more people in the industry like that. We will never survive it well if we don't have that mentality behind the things. I mean, to be honest, mate, you've helped me become a better man. You know, like your honesty and integrity of things have helped me think at times where I've thought about doing some fuckery and I've thought <laughs> I would probably let a lot of people down if I did that sort of thing. And it's good to have a friend by your side who can, you know, like you said, I mentored, your, mentored you, but you've mentored me. You know, I mean, I've gained just as much from you, probably more at times than I've given to you. So that's me appreciating you. Oh, thanks. Because, I mean, I have gained a lot from good people in the industry and, and now you're one of them. So double thumbs up. Oh, with, what a little, <laughs> we should call this episode Circle Jerk. Yeah. <laughs> the, second. <laughs> the second Circle Jerk. <laughs> if, you, if you can't pay a compliment to somebody who's truly, you know, like you posted that thing in the forum the other day. If you love somebody, tell them. And that's my way. I, I mean, I love you, man. You, oh. Yeah, it's I, I do. I appreciate you. You're a good guy. You're Thanks, a good bro. guy for this industry. And, you know, I know that the future is bright and you're going to do a lot of good for it. Thanks, bro. I love you too. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I feel like, you know, we're kind of off topic a little bit now, but I've kind of hit my stride a little well, bit. Well, not really, because we're talking about people who are fucking other people over. Yeah. And that's, what we're, that's our disdain about this whole thing. And yeah. that's what I'm saying is, Essentially, we did this podcast. We started with wanting to fuck people over, and then we realized, yeah, that's it not did it. start that way. We did, it did start that way. It was it started in a negative vein of calling people out for their fuckery, and then we essentially decided that's not the right thing to do. Mm. You know, like I mean, yeah, look, we've, we've taken done that a little bit. We fired a we fired a couple of shots across the bowels of other people, but the intention is not to destroy them. The intention is to to say, hey, man. Think about what you're doing. Yeah. You know, think about the direction and the integrity you're taking here because I've seen posts that people have put out recently where they've said, you know, there's people trying to heal the industry 
And now you see posts like this who are just trying to bring it down once again, you yeah. know, like, and bring it down to a shitty level. Yeah. And that's disappointing. Sorry, I just wanted to say this while it's fresh in my mind because I did forget to say this at the start. I just wanted to mention the passing of Martin Dealey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we yeah. did forget to talk about that. And I, I wanted to raise that at the start. And I, I think Martin got a bit of a kick in the backside over the days gone by, which was quite sad that Martin has now passed. And that's probably some of the last things he saw about the, the yeah, industry. Yeah, and the week prior to his death, that's there was right. a lot of people calling out his, his legacy, basically. That's right. So, yeah. you know. and that's pretty fucked up. It is really fucked up. because You know, I mean, the, the terrible thing is he's now gone. He's got no right of reply for that anymore. And, I mean, what a sad way to end your career. I mean, I, I hope people have a little think about that. Just sit and think about that for a little bit of time because that man did a lot of good for a lot of people. And, I mean, you can see the real struggle and hurt over people who have lost a friend and a mentor yeah. who actually did do what he could do to bind the industry together. I mean, essentially, he's one of the people who got one of the most successful not-for-profit dog industry bodies up and running. You know, I mean, it's its 20th year now. He's not the only person. There's a lot of people who are involved in that and a lot of people who have, you know, done a shit ton of work in getting in behind that. But you've got to acknowledge that some of these people – Man, that, that's I don't know. I'm just I'm a bit torn up about that, to be honest. I don't know Martin Dealey um, no, at all. I've met him once because Alex Edwards introduced me at the ISCP conference, and I sat down and spoke with him for an hour, and I had a lovely conversation with him. He was a lovely man. He was very, very welcoming. He was so pleased that we had an Australian conglomerate going over there, and that we were representing our country. And yeah, he was very excited to hear about what I do and and what my fellow countrymen do and stuff like that. So. I had nothing but a nice interaction with Martin, even yeah. though I didn't know the guy. So I'm not going to get up here and say he was my best friend and try and make it like that because ultimately I didn't know him. But what I did know of him, he was a decent guy. Yeah. Well, what, what's upsetting was, you know, certainly in his last week was the the inference that he was skimming money from the ISCP because he took a small salary as the executive director. Right. When that's public information it's not hidden in any way shape or it's, form that's and, right and we've discussed like the staff of big organizations like that require to be paid because of the man hours that are involved in doing it and it's horrendous hours like people don't, i don't think people realize the the amount of time and effort that goes into running yeah. an office in these in these organizations yeah. like you look at i mean just take conference for example yeah just that one event yeah that, but that's a uh, Pretty much like that's you, an army. That's a small army. Yeah, like if you were an event coordinator that put on one giant event like that per year, that would you'd be getting paid a fortune. Yeah, right? and so the idea that some office holders in the ISCP take a small wage, and it's not, it's hardly like that's a fucking secret because, hey, listen, you know, I didn't know this because I've never been to it, but I'll be there this year. And Chad pointed out, like at the end of conference, they have that director's meeting where you're welcome to go everyone as a can go right yep. everyone you can go can and go. question anything and go and speak to your board representatives yeah exactly and yep. and the budget is laid out and all the expenditure is accounted for like every it's all public right yeah and you don't even I, I, i'm guessing but it's just in one of those conference rooms literally anyone could rock into that yeah right like it's not like it's a secret it's not a, it's a secret and and if you're if you're upset with the inner workings of the iscp and you're not a member then fuck off like become a member if you're upset with it Become a member. Change, change. Yeah, that's it. right. Yeah. But, but I think the, that you'll get in there the and go, I think I think it's highly lucky you'll get in there and go like, oh, things are actually pretty kosher here. Anyway, it is sad. It's sad that yeah, that it's was a, its It's a work. sad way to walk your legacy out. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, Martin Dealey. For all the people in his IACP family, his legitimate blood family, uh, his friends, colleagues, everything, I, I know that, you know, it's been a, 
a terrible time for you. I've read a lot of your online posts and your condolences to him and his family. And, you know, it was a lovely legacy from you. And I know you appreciated the guy and we appreciate the legacy that he's left behind in conjunction with the, well, in construction of the ISCP. Yeah. It's certainly, you could see from uh, people's posts, like I, like I said, I met Martin, Martin very quickly one time, not, nothing. Mm. Um, but you could see that he, like all the other guys we've been talking about today, was a, a love trainer of people, not just dogs. Yep, exactly. Um, and that, you know, I think that really is, the, the names that you know in dogs, they're, it's because it's not that they're necessarily good dogs. Of course, they have to be very good with dogs, but mm. it's not that that makes them who they are. It's how good they are with people. Yeah, that's what makes these names who they are. Mm. And that's what. Sorry, I was saying. Yeah, you know, I feel like I kind of hit my stride a little bit because I've learned like my skill. Like I'm only okay with dogs. I'm not amazing with dogs. There's people who fucking smoke me with their eyes closed, right? But what they do is largely intuitive. And what I've found in my skill set. And I've been lucky to identify this over the last 12 months is like my skill set is watching other people who are in, intuitively doing something and coming to understand how and why and what they do works. you interpret it well. Yeah. How and You're, why what they do yeah, works. You have a good interpretation of what's going on yeah. and you break it down well that people can understand it. You were saying this before and I, I totally agree with you. There was a couple of ladies in Melbourne in ANKC who were absolutely rolling out title after title, not only on their own dogs, but they were taking other people just for a hobby. And they were smashing it. And I spoke to one of them and I said, why don't you teach people? And they said, I'm just not very good with people. Mm. But titles and and rolling dogs out one after the other, I mean, my God, you know, these women could just smash them out. It's a different skill set. It's a different skill set. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like educating people and educating dogs. You know, like some people can do one, some people can do the other, some people can do both. Yeah. You know, and you are in the, and so am I, in a in a good um, position where yeah. that's what we can do. Yeah. You know, and I, I thoroughly enjoy observing someone training, especially when their technique of training is somewhat intuitive, like they just do it yeah. and it works. Observing that and then coming to understand how and why it works you know, and the mechanics, yeah. replicating it mm. and then going, okay, now, because I, I understand why you do this. Now I can teach that to other people. I, I understand why you do it. I've replicated it. Yeah. Probably not to the, the same extent because I don't have the, like the, the, the je ne sais quoi with my hands to do it. <laughs> um, but I, I now I French. can, <laughs> now I can explain it and, and teach that component in, yep. in the thing. And I really, truly, I fucking love doing that. I, I you know, I, I love explaining that shit to people. I am such a, you know, to go back to the Nipopo stuff, like I fucking live and breathe that shit. Because really? Yeah. Ding. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's life. And I'm, I'm so thankful to, to Bart and Michael for the opportunity, first of all, to learn it, but now to teach it. Yeah. And it, like I, I, I fucking, it is, it's not like, you know, I get paid to do seminars, but mm. I love fucking doing it. Like yeah. It is. I know you light up when you're talking about it. Like yeah. it's, you can see that it's, um, it's not passionate just, about it. Yeah, you're it's very not a, passionate like about it. Like it is my job. Yeah, but I would. We we're talking about this recently. With but some look friends. at the good it's doing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is when you look at when you talk about legacy. I mean, look at the good the legacy is doing. Yeah. You can't. You you cannot attack something when you can see that people are doing well and bettering themselves in their situation. Yeah, like that's the first question we ask in any course: is why does a dog do what it does to yeah. better its situation? Now, I mean, if you're bettering the life of a dog, a handler, a trainer, a community from the legacy that you're leaving behind, the information you're giving them, you cannot attack that. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you do, you're a you're a dickhead. Yeah, you're just a jealous zero. <laughs> I was talking about with a friend the other day, actually with a neighbour, about 
money and, you know, life. And it was really the conversation was about whether I'm still arming and arming about spending $25,000 to get my dog to America, yeah. uh, which is in the 99% not happening at the moment. Mm. But we're talking about, you know, if you had endless money, if you won the lottery and money was never going to be a concern for you again, really fortunate that not that much would change in my life. Like I might live in a better house, but my wife, Jane, she's a phenomenal tattooist uh, and she has to charge to tattoo because that's how she makes a living. But if she never had to worry about money again, she'd still be tattooing because she loves it. She's yep. phenomenal She's at an it. artist. That's, yeah, yeah, that's what she, she does. That's her drive expression. Yeah, and yep. it's the same for me with teaching this stuff. Like even if, I, even if I didn't have to charge people, I would still be doing it because that's what I fucking love to do. That's my passion. So what would I be doing? Just sitting around at home fucking doing nothing, playing Xbox? Like that's not that's not who I am. It, it's funny you say that because Dave and I were – we had a long car trip the other day and he said, you know, like what would you do if money wasn't an object? I said I'd travel for a bit and then I'd come back and I'd build, you know, my own Disneyland for dogs. Yeah. You know, and that would be pretty much what I'd do. I'd yeah. have I'd have this enormous um shed decked out with everything I want. Yeah. Um, and just like the most insanely fun stuff that you could do. And just, you know, like go and do some jujitsu. I'd yeah. probably have a guy that was coming around the house and doing it with me and then I'd go out and train oh, dogs. Oh, a gentleman caller, Glenn. A gentleman caller. <laughs> leave leave the money for him in an envelope in the hallway. <laughs> hey, didn't that get some laughs? Well, yeah. Of course it did. Yeah. That's my life. But like I say, I wouldn't I think I feel like you're blessed if you say you know, if I didn't have to work for money, mm. I would still be doing the same job. Yep. And the truth is like, don't be trying to book me for free anybody because I don't have a lot of money and I do need, I do yeah, need, need to be income. paid, right? Yeah. But like, the, I, I feel blessed to think that that's what I do. And look, nothing would be that different for you. You basically work at Disneyland. You've built Disneyland for dogs and you're replicating that all over the place. So mm. it's, it's pretty awesome when you think like, hey, if I didn't have to work for money, I would still be doing the same job. That means you're fucking on a good track. You're on the right track in hey, life. I mean, look, I'm I'm really blessed to be honest to be where I live. Like I live on five acres. I walk outside. I've got an enormous dog training shed. I've got yeah. a dog training, a whole yard which I can train dogs. I've got my selection of any dog I want. You know, like it's life's good. Yeah, life's really good. Yeah. Mm. All right, that's how fucking rad our lives are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got to be appreciative for you know what you've got and and not constantly dwell on what you haven't got. Yeah. You know, if you want good things, work hard and you know. Invest and do things. Be be smart in your business selection and choices. Stop sitting on the internet fucking complaining about people. Yeah. Get off your ass, you know, get your big ass off the couch and go do something productive with your life. Yeah. I think if there's a, you know. Leave a legacy, not fucking misery. We said this two, two episodes ago, but obviously our reach isn't big enough to have any impact. But I just wish that people would stop fucking sabotaging the whole industry and just you know, let's work on pressing forward rather than what's happening at the bottom. Or confront those people directly if you're so upset about what they're doing. You know, make the time to call them up and just say, hey, I've got an issue with what you're doing and then um, have it out with them in person. Yeah. I don't know about the fix. I don't know what could be done other than You'll never stop. I mean, look, human race is essentially, you know, there's a lot of love and there's a lot of good in people, but there's also just, like I said, Sludge. Well, there's sludge and there's people that just want to see the world burn, you know, because they think that's going to end their pain or it's going to bring relevance to them. And, I mean, really, it's just people who sit at home thinking, I'm so bored and I'm I'm not getting the attention I need and I'm a big baby and I really need someone to pay attention to me, mm. you know, and they, they just thrive on that sort of thing. So you're exactly right. Don't monetize them. Don't talk about them. Make them disappear. Yeah. Force them into Coventry. Yeah. 
Which is hard. That's the hardest thing to do, but it's probably going to be the most effective. It is hard to do because for some people it's also exciting. You know, it's like it's well, a sport. Well, and for if you're the one that's being called out by them, you 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 have the right of reply. Yep. And it certainly can feel good to do that, but I don't know that it has the effect that you you, you want it to have. Mm. That's the problem. It's not going to be as effective as going around and knocking on the door and saying, hello. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what do you got to say now? Yeah. Anyway. Hey, let's wrap it up. Done. Got anything? Oh, yeah. The other thing I want to mention just before we close out is we got our Teespring store up. Oh, finally. So yes. for people who are looking for merch, we now have it. Well, you said you wanted it, so it's there. Yeah. So help us support us. That would be lovely because it took a fair bit of time to set up. It was quite a pain in the ass to get mm-hmm. it going. But yeah, look, it's there. It's fun. Really appreciate what Avery did. The design yeah, that, that she did. cool. That was really funny. Super cool. And the fact that she. Uh, she donated that to the show to support us. Yeah. Avery, lots of love and respect for that. Like, really appreciate that. It was very funny. Lots of laughs when we saw it. And uh, appreciate that you donated it to us to help our running costs on the show. So, massive thanks. Yeah. Hey, on that, last week I was training my dog. Something occurred to me, not the way I trained, not training the way I trained, but a, a better way to explain something I've spent a long time explaining occurred to me. And so I rushed home and I had to film it. Like I had to get it out so that I, you know, for me, the way that I solidify information is to say it out loud. Right. Yeah. So I did that. And then I had this content and I was like, okay, well have this. The only reason I recorded this was for myself so that now I can replicate that when I'm teaching, I can say the exact same shit because I know it. Yeah. I listen back to it myself. Now it's in my brain. I can do that. Yep. And I was like, okay, well I have this and I just feel sick about the fucking Patreon t-shirt thing, right? So when we first when we first set up Patreon, we put if you're in the $20 tier for three months, you get a t-shirt because we had t-shirts being made at that time. Yep. But when we got the t-shirts, we were not happy with the quality of yeah. them. And then it turned out to ship them overseas because, you know, the majority of the people in that tier were in the States that not only were we sending them a shitty product, but it was, it was costing more than it was actually yep. they were putting in. And so, yeah, but so trust me. So anyway, I feel bad about that. So I put the, that video is like a, Hey, like, Hey, you know, here's something for you guys in the $20 thing, just because you've got nothing extra. Here's a little thank you from me. And then loads of people obviously wanted to see it. So they've upgraded, which is awesome, but we still are yet to solve this t-shirt problem, but it looks like we have now. So, so I promise you, if you're in that $20 tier, and you have been for three months or were for three months, even if you know your circumstance, whatever, if you're not there, but you, you were, mm. you're getting a shirt, I yep. promise. And it's going to be a different shirt that no one else can buy. Yep. It's going to be a different one. And I fucking promise it's coming, but it could just be a little while, right? Mm. We've ordered from this Teespring stuff. It looks like we have the process. It yep. appears as though we do, but let me confirm all of that. And I promise you'll get your, you're getting a shirt, whether I have to fucking hand, hand make it and deliver it to you myself, <laughs> you're going to get it. I yep. promise. And it'll be one that no one else can buy. Oh, by the way, we're not bringing them to conference because we won't have access to them because yeah. it's an online store that you need to order yourself. So people have already messaged me like crazy and said, hey, I'll grab one off you at conference. doesn't work that way. It's yeah. online. They print it on request and they uh, send it and ship it out. It just took a lot of headache away from us to have to buy them, store them, send them out and ship them out all over the place. This is the new way of doing business is basically, you know, they 
Print it online. Yeah, so we've essentially outsourced it. Yeah, we've outsourced it. We've outsourced it completely because we can't forecast. We're not looking at you as an audience, so we don't know what size you are. Yeah, that's right. We can't forecast the size. So you can go on there, you can choose the color you want, you can choose the size you want, you can choose the print you want. And it takes all the guesswork. You can see it all online on the store. It's listed on our website. It's listed on the discussion group. If you're not sure, you can message us and we'll send you all the deets to find it. But it takes a lot of the legwork out of organizing it all. It just really removes us as a middleman. And we make a small profit on it. I think we make like four um, bucks or something. Yeah, we make about four bucks a shirt. So we're not, you know, running home with with a million dollars in in shirt money either. I mean, we'll probably spend more on it getting it to our people in the $20 yeah, that's, Patreon. Yeah, that's the kill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. By the time we get it all out there and get it shipped to yeah. them and everything like that, you know, like that, we're talking some serious money. But, it, yeah. you know, it's worth it because you guys are supporting us. Yeah. And, you know, we wouldn't... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, we're not making excuses. No, not at saying, all. No, we're, we're just we're, explaining we're, why it's taken so long. Yeah, no, we love you Patreon guys because you've, like I said, you know, like we took a, a whole heap of gear down to the Melbourne show the other day. Um, we were able to set up and do that podcast where we were talking, having the conversation with the Melbourne trainers. Everything apart Hearing from, about Preston's 14 Labradors. Oh my God, wasn't it? That was that was insanely hysterical yeah. for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you, that's something you'd advise against in every other aspect. But, you know, he was a young kid and he learned. And, it's um, hilarious. It's hilarious. All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap <laughs> it up. We've got to go. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, like we just talked about, Patreon's the best way to do that. Jump in there at whatever tier you so desire. There's different things available on different tiers, but three bucks a month will get you access to a new episode, an extra educational episode. Ten bucks will get you a live Q and A about that. Which, by the way, oh, it's probably happened by the time you hear this. And you know, twenty dollars will eventually, at some stage in your life, get you a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Although we've taken that out. So from now on, if you sign up to that, you won't be getting it. But you other people will. So, yep. all right, calm down. $20 will get you a present from time to time, right? And we're working on some other stuff that's more affordable to actually post out. Mm. And if you want to just pledge, you know, $1,000 or whatever, that'd be cool too. I pr- would appreciate that. Yeah. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is info at the caninparadigm.com. And that's pretty much it. We will see you. We'll have another episode before conference probably before we're then in Canada and we'll do a show from Canada, no doubt. Yeah, we'll probably sit down with Emma and do yep. a record with her. Yep, and maybe some some people at the, at at the, the seminar. Conference. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that'd be uh, fun. And then we'll be at ISCP conference. So I think Emma's probably got be- about 35 people attending that now, yep. which is yep. pretty cool. So there'll be a couple more episodes and then there'll be a bit of a break, but then you'll be flooded after that because there'll be a shit ton of content recorded at the ICP conference. Yep. That's it. Oh, I hit the button and nothing happened. What's happened? Is your board broken? What have you done? It's not working, Glenn. What? Ah, he keeps hitting it. There's nothing happening. It's that. Isn't that one? It's that one. Aha. I know how to use the board better. Ah, <laughs> uh, the fucker. Oh, 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 o